Startup Stories DSM features conversations with entrepreneurs who share their stories of what worked and what failed on their entrepreneurial journey. Startup Stories is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell, Executive Director of Entrepreneurial Initiatives at the Partnership. Ben Milne, welcome to Startup Stories. The business record reported that the monetary event raised over $10,000 for Pi 515. What drives your passion for that organization? I think Nancy serves a group of people that would otherwise not be served. And, you know... A lot of things in life have a lot to do with who gives you a shot. And I think Nancy is giving a lot of people a shot they might not get otherwise, which is something I think is pretty incredible. It is. Real briefly, Pi 515 is doing education of immigrant children to the U.S. who are and learning about coding, basically. Is that, that's the, the, the gist of it, isn't it? Yeah, I think you summed it up nicely. I mean... Sometimes I probably oversimplify it a little bit that I think they they give these kids a computer and an internet connection. Yeah. And they're not giving them iPads and teaching them to consume. They're, yeah. they're giving them actual computers to teach them how to produce value themselves. And certainly for me, that was sort of the crux of, like, can I even take care of myself versus could I maybe go build companies? It was right. a computer and an internet connection. Same thing for me. I uh, was failing my first year of college. At the U of I, I was truly flunking out, and my brother said, go take a computer science class. I mean, obviously, I have the first world benefit of having gotten to college, but it was computer science that set me on course for an amazing career that I'm still having a lot of fun with, so I get it. Um, We really do appreciate you making this a part of Monetary. It was great to see the team on stage. And sitting in the front row, I actually heard several comments that was very cool to see these young people sitting in the front row not relegated to the back, so thanks for doing that. Uh, so Monetary is described as an event dedicated to creating value in the Midwest. So what was your goal in bringing the event to the community? We just thought it would be valuable. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, you know, Christian used to talk a lot about creating moments where people just connect that are unexpected. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of those events back in the day with Big Omaha and Think Iowa. And many of those events, again, for me personally, created opportunities that otherwise I wouldn't have had. Right. And when we were talking about how to do events again at Douala, we thought about how to do something bigger and more impactful than what we'd done in the past, but also expose different parts of the community to things and people they might not be exposed to on a regular basis working with founders on a regular basis, just like you do. One of the things that I hear all the time is that they're confused about how to talk to investors or who are the right investors for their stage. Well, when a billion dollars of investable capital comes to town and the people who actually invest that capital say, this is how you do it. Our hope is that some of the things they said were heard. Yeah. Did you happen to recording that? Because I'd love to make that available to some of my clients and get them to listen to it again. I think we have at least a majority of it somewhere recorded. Um, we've got some really great folks on our staff that were running some of the video in the back and making sure that we had some of it. That would be great to get out there because I agree with you. Um, it, I don't know how many people actually realized how much capital was on stage because, again, if you're a Midwest startup, you're an Iowa startup, and you've never been a part of the, the greater ecosystem on either coastline where funds write checks 50, 60 million on a fairly regular basis, um, that's just un perceivable, I think, for a lot of people. I just don't think they understand what's really going on there. I, I mean, I'm with you. we got to keep bringing that to them. You know, one of the reasons we didn't actually release the audio was because we want to encourage people to just show up. Oh, absolutely. And 
the thing is, is if people sit back and they, they listen, while they get some of the inherent benefits, they never get the connections that can actually help get their idea right. off the ground. Right. And, you know, that night I saw Chris Moody from Founder Group down in the basement bar, basically just sitting there waiting for people to come up to him and, and pitch and talk Sweet. about their idea and work through it. And, you know, these guys come to Des Moines now on a very regular basis, and we're trying to figure out ways that we can connect the community with them. But also one of the things investors do is they're trying to uncover value. Right. And we all we all know where historically and generically we believe a lot of that investment occurs. But I think it's a little bit of a fallacy. There's a, there's a lot of money going places that are not the East and West Coast. And there are a lot of great people building those ideas in different places. And clearly some of the best investors in the world are willing to come to Des Moines and talk to founders here that they've never met before. I was out in the at the Rise of the Rust event last month, Steve Case held in D.C., and it was about investing outside of the three major areas being California, New York, and Massachusetts. And this was the entire theme. And what was amazing to me in just one year were how many fund managers I met in the crowd saying, we're looking for deals across the nation. We're not constrained on flying, you know, getting on a plane's okay now. I mean, I think that the just the maturity of it, but I think more importantly that what I heard was valuations in some of those areas are getting a little crazy, and the deal flow, I think, is not quite there for them. Some of that's – there's probably some truth in that. Um, there's, I think, always an outlier of companies that have higher than average valuations for any number of reasons. Uh, I think we could speculate all day how some valuations are arrived at. And to your point, there are a lot of good companies around here that have realistic valuation expectations. And I'm hopeful more and more founders that are thinking about how do I also maximize for the right partners to help me grow the business within the community where I started it, as opposed to uh, a group of investors who may not support that. And you know, certainly it was a barrier for me to get over understanding that a lot of investors really wanted to help us protect what we have. And we have offices in San Francisco and Des Moines, mm-hmm. and we want to continue to grow those offices. Yeah. Des Moines is an important part of who we are, and we work with investors that support that. I think that's important for other founders to be exposed to and also other people in the business community. Tej talks a lot about you know, connecting corporate America and big organizations. Thankfully, he has a very loud pedestal he can stand on now. He does now. Uh, yeah, so I, I, he's doing all of us a, a lot of favors, and I, I'm very aware of that. The The thing about the corporate community understanding that there's outside investor support for companies that are being built here, too, de-risks them and makes it more likely for them to do different investing or support GIA or other things in the community. It just makes everything flow a little bit easier. Well, I think of especially the companies where the headquarters is here, and I don't like to differentiate that, but you know, when you have a company whose headquarters is here and the the senior team is here, even if they're publicly traded, they're part of your community and they're invested long-term. When you're a regional office for something, that investment level isn't quite the same. I mean, people get moved through the system. But uh, it's it's interesting. I, I know for me, having done these accelerators, how many of the corporate people are like, we have to have a startup ecosystem in this town. It's an absolute mandatory. It's not a, oh, that'd be nice to have like it was 10 years ago. Now it's mandatory in their mind. So it's nice to see that change. So how did you get Brad Feld here? He's many times blogged about not traveling anymore. And I, I knew he kind of goes on and off that. But is he, what brought him here? I just asked him. You asked him. <laughs> uh, Good for you. Brad is an extremely giving human being yeah. and has 
definitely been a good steward of the the give first uh, yes, method, has. and he is definitely someone who, you know, to the points he made on stage and also his behavior at monetary, he practices what he preaches, and he's been an extreme supporter of Dwala in that he's always just practice what he preaches, yeah. and in this particular case, we were talking about you know what we felt might be missing in the community and how we could. Um, connect more deeply with the community and how he could help with that. And thankfully he agreed to come. Yeah. And he's been here before. I mean, he's been here several times, so it was nice to see him back. I really appreciated him being there. I, I think that was great. Um, and, and for those of you who uh, don't know, there was a recent post on clay and milk uh, that Tej Dawan wrote as a wrap up to the monetary event. that I thought was really an interesting read and it's worth the time to go, to go take a look at it. I, I thought he brought up some really great points about, and to your point about Brad, what's next, right? This was Tej saying, you know, we have to adopt that 20 year view and what's going to come next. So it's definitely worth a read. Um, I love Brad's blog and I read it a lot. Um, even though I disagree with him once in a while, which is appropriate. Um, do you get the same kind of value from talking with him directly when you, when you interact with him? You know, I think the way people speak and the way they write is certainly different. And when you're reading a blog many times, it's a little like listening to a lecture, which is okay. It's a cohesive group of thoughts that's sort of brought together to make a point. And I don't, I don't know that Brad communicates that way in just normal conversation. But what I will say about Brad and really all the, all the folks at Foundry is that they tend to take an approach of what's the best thing for the company and how do we think about our connectivity within the community as a function of what's best for the company. And those things really tend to go hand in hand in a way that in some ways it might be a little strange to be talking to an investor about that, but these folks really do care about communities coming up with the businesses and vice versa, the businesses coming up with the community and doing the right things along the way. You know, and it, it's refreshing because that wasn't the way it always has been, or at least the majority of investment firms, especially when I was working with some of them in my 80, late 80s, early 90s experiences, were not that way. To me, it's kind of like, are they looking long-term or short-term? Are you just going to go wreck your relationships to make one deal, or are you going to build deep relationships that may net 10 more deals down the road? And to me, that's one of the things I think Brad's accomplishing. I agree. So let's talk about raising capital. Uh, value creation attracts capital. That's that's something that was stated in the monetary uh, words on the on the on the on the website. It sounds so simple, but there's so much to that process. Since starting with Tawala, what have you witnessed as it relates to raising capital in the Midwest? I think people overcomplicate the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I I really 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 do. If you can. Build something that you're passionate about that is really wanted in the world and also can find investors that care about that thing. One of the points I think one of the investors made at Monetary was you need to talk to investors that are interested in that thing which you are doing, which is an important thing. You can't get a wearables investor to invest in fintech unless they're used to doing that. Right. And that's, that's an okay thing, knowing your audience. And when I talk to local founders about how to raise capital a lot of it comes down to, are you passionate? Is there something that's valuable there? Those are the hard problems to solve. And then from there, it's, okay, what stage are you at? What investors fit that profile? Right. And how do we get access to them? 
Right. Access is normally a function of an ask, not necessarily a function of capability, unless you're not capable of asking, I guess. Yeah, but just that. It, it's amazing how many of these folks, if you ask, they'll take the meeting. And I think it was Molly who made a comment around, you know, we look at this many deals and we normally end up doing this. Their, their job is looking at those deals. So clearly they're excited to talk to founders and they're excited to talk to people with ideas. You know, they they don't invest in all of them, but everybody who's ever done sales knows that you've got a funnel and you don't close every potential client that comes in. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, when we did the accelerator for insurance, we'd made 58 in-person sales calls to get seven investors. And that's about a normal odds. And that was with warm intros. Yeah, even a 58 to 7 ratio is pretty high. It is. You know, the normal thing I would tell most founders is, you know, you should probably take like the 100 to 1 rule. Especially if it's your first time. Yeah. Take a hundred meetings hoping that you get one of them to invest in the business. And until you have an initial lead investor, it's difficult to underestimate the amount of time it takes to do it. And if you're not willing to make that your full time sixty hour a week job, don't start raising capital in a laissez faire way. It's just it's very difficult to do as a first time founder and have it in successfully. Yeah, I, I see that as well. People thinking they're going to do it very quickly or uh, you know, on a part-time basis and they're going to do it local. And I, I, I express my frustration that, you know, the state of Iowa is less than 1% of the population of the, 90s, of the United States and that 1% tends to be risk adverse. So you are creating a microcosm of investors if you say, I want to raise my money in Iowa. Now, if you know everybody in Iowa with money, maybe you can do it, but it's it's a pretty crazy path to go down. You know, a lot of a lot of first-time founders, there's a large percentage of them that just don't need to raise capital. Um, you know, I've, I've sort of seen it happen both ways, and Dwal is unique in that operating in a extremely regulated environment where the capital requirements are uh, far in excess of uh, a normal person's ability just to fund it because. But there are a lot of really good businesses where the revenue growth is substantial enough that they just don't need to raise capital and it becomes a really meaningful distraction. And, you know, at its heart, if you build a good business, the capital will also find you. Oh, it'll hunt you down. Yeah. And we've seen that with Rocket Referrals, which I believe last I knew has never raised capital, uh, and uh, WorkCount, which I think made it through the first two years and had good revenue before they ever raised any money. And they did get distracted for a while. Uh, I think they'll admit that. Yeah. I, I, all businesses are different and all businesses have different capital requirements. And to apply one method of how to fund a business to all businesses isn't it of self a mistake? Yeah. And so I think founders just need to do the things that are right for them. In many cases, capital may be the requirement to actually pull the idea off. Where it's not, why dilute yourself? Oh, no kidding. Right? Um, that being said, there's nothing that says you can't build a great company here, especially a great software company. We've seen a lot of boundaries get removed because the internet's gotten faster. We've got great internet here. There are ways that I think it will continue to improve, but it's already pretty darn good. It is. And customers that are all over the country normally don't pass on deals because the provider is in Iowa. They just want the best product. So build the best product and you'll attract the customers. Yeah, and in the corporate world, the the, the walls to the you must you know present in person and fly over here for meetings, those are gone. 
Um, I have a startup here in town that's, I think he's doing seven or eight million a year. They have yet to do an in-person sales call. They do them all over the phone with video links, you know, all the different tools. And it's partly because the founder has a bad back. So he literally can't get on an airplane when he's having back problems. So he lays flat on his back and does his sales calls. And he's had amazing success. There is a, a great opportunity for a lot of people to build the type of company they want to work in. And it's amazing how much freedom there is in building companies that operate differently. To your point, 20 years ago, would that have been an opportunity? And today, having a hangout to close a deal, it's no big deal. It's its an easy, to your point, efficient way to do it. And I think that uh, it's certainly changed the sales cycle in a way that benefits software companies, regardless of where they're based. It does. And it's benefiting these now. Uh, corporations are now spread out because a lot of corporations can't get the best people by saying you have to move to Cleveland, Miami, Des Moines, the Valley, wherever it is. There's a lot of good talent out there that says, no, I'll work for you, but I work from where I live. And so it's answering the other side of that equation that says, gee, even to pull my team together, if I'm in a corporation, that's not an in-person meeting. It's, it's almost never going to be an in-person meeting. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think also for every one way of doing it, there's obviously a different way to do it. And they all work. And if we go back to just like the idea of creating value and what's unique and what do we hope to share with the community, it's that there is an opportunity to build businesses here. You can build businesses here. If you need to raise capital, you can access it. If you don't need to, well... You don't need to. Yeah. But either way, the people that are being held back by not allowing themselves to get over the mental barrier of I can't do it here, you can. Yeah, you that absolutely can. That ship sailed. There's so many great examples of companies that are doing it here and raising money or not. Um, and and the successful ones that are raising money are I can tell you are marked in my experience by those who look the two things you just said, they bear repeating. One, the focus of the investor, and two, go national. Reach nationally, you have to. So um, you talked earlier about having the two offices, Des Moines and the Valley. You made quite a switch, I think, a while back in bringing more of the business back. I, I, help me understand, because it's been a while. You, I know you were out in the Valley for a while. Yeah, I was um, out in San Francisco for a couple of years. And yeah. when we opened up that office, we largely did it about, uh, I can't remember what year it was. But they run together, don't they? Some, sometimes. Uh, but the core idea of that office was to build out a leadership team. And okay. we did. And we had a very supportive investor and partner. And we did the things that we set out to do on that front. But the mechanics of the business simply changed. And when we decided that we were going to take all this really beautiful infrastructure that we built over the years and change it to sell it directly to businesses in an environment where our name wasn't even on it. This had sort of been part of the dream in that if you read old articles, we talked about a day where our name wouldn't be on it. Right, I remember that. We we thought about that a lot and what the transition point was. I certainly never could have imagined, though, the transition point was like, oh, no, we'll just do that now. And here's all the things along with it that are going to have to change as well. Yeah. And the business changed the management of the business changed, right. the board changed, and the name stayed the same, and the website slowly changed as well. But, I mean, when all that stuff changed, I decided to make a move back to Iowa. Um, myself and my wife, Jamie, live not too far outside of downtown. Right, We love it here. 
We have a team in San Francisco that we work with on a daily basis who is phenomenal at what they do. And I think that there is a lot of benefit to connecting to different communities to create a better culture internally. And we've seen a lot of that happen in sort of this version of the company. Certainly when I went to San Francisco, I could never have imagined that today we have exactly the same product that we have, but I don't think we would have gotten here without a lot of that. And we're really lucky that we've had people support us through each one of those phases. Yeah. Hindsight's such a, uh, I'm sorry, a waste of time because it, it, for the most part, because you know, what if, what if we'd done this? What if we'd done that? That's crazy stuff. I mean, it is the journey that makes you who you are personally. And it's the journey that makes companies who they are. And I remember stuff we went through that, fundamentally changed our companies and sometimes our customers kicked their butts pretty hard and we had to go change and it was only because they did it so hard that we changed otherwise we would have died a couple times um do you miss san francisco at all um honestly i still get out there quite a bit yeah well, that's so true. You probably are still out there i think that it's important that i be around des moines for a lot of different reasons one of which is that I am personally happier working in one bed and at one desk on a more regular basis. The personal toll that I think travel can take on a person is very real. And for a number of years, I did that. And so I, I really enjoy the time where I don't need to be traveling. However, you know, I get my San Francisco fix. And um, as I, I, I continue to mention, we have a really, really, really strong team that's out there. That's a lot of fun to work with. Yeah. So, when I go out, it's not for networking events and conferences. It's right. to get to the team, to work with the team. Yeah, it has value when you go out there. Absolutely. Right. Value. The, the working with the team benefit, whether or not it's in Des Moines or San Francisco, is something I really, 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 really enjoy. Yeah. My life just has me spending more time in Des Moines at the moment. Sure. So I found the comment at Monetary that was made. I can't remember. It was either Chris Moody or Albert Wenger of Union Square that the overwhelming number of new startups are happening in California while the costs of doing business in California, specifically in the Valley, are crazy high. Um, Are there remaining disadvantages to locating outside of the hotspots, the Valley, Massachusetts, New York? Are there still things you would say are legitimately still disadvantageous, if I can do that word correctly? It kind of depends on the person. Yeah. Um, you know, the sort of contrarian argument to it costs more and more companies fail in the Valley is that, well, yes, but more companies start in the Valley and to the people starting those companies, there's less risk. If the company doesn't work, they can go work in a number of companies because the thing that's always happening is companies are being started. Yeah. So if you put into the scenario individual risk, there's actually less risk for entrepreneurs and for a lot of team members in the Valley. Now, that's not necessarily a good or bad thing, but I think it's a thing worth appreciating. It's different. If you are building a company outside of those places, the likelihood that you get discovered by going to a network event or you just accidentally pitch the right person that helps change your life, like those things are less likely to happen just by virtue of your existence. You need to be more intentional. Sure. I think that is different. On the flip side, I think there is a benefit to being able to focus. I grew up on a farm. I've learned as I age that I enjoy the time to be alone and work. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because of the way I grew up, but that's a thing that when I lived in the city was a difficult thing for me to do. Getting like true quiet was a difficult thing for me and getting true quiet and being at one desk in one bed 
gives me a lot of creative space to do better work. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, kudos to both you and Stephanie Atkin for the hard work put in bringing monetary t- together. You've mentioned before that it was really Stephanie that drove it, and we appreciate you making her time available to do that. Are you looking at this as an annual event? We don't know yet. We're still working through what the future of monetary is. Yeah, Steph did a phenomenal job with with this event, and there are a lot of work to do. There, there People is a lot of estimate. There is a lot of work to do. We're very fortunate, I think, that when we kind of took a step back and said, "Okay, well, what else is actually going on?" Um, you know, like Clayton's doing the YEC event, GAI has constant events and classes that are going on all the time. There are things that now we know are constantly happening. And we are internally thinking about what role do we play in the community with the future of monetary events or events in general. But we're really trying to look at it from the lens of let's not try to jump back in right away just to do something because we're excited right now. Yeah. Let's take a step back and say, what is the role that we play here? What is the gap that we think we can help fill? And what is our actual contribution to the community? And how do, how do we kind of measure that individually so that once we decide to do it, we're excited. We're going to do it for years. We're not going to just, right. you know, kind of do it until the excitement wears off. Right. Well, uh, speaking as one of the members of the community, I think one of the values you guys add to the process is uh, you get people's attention. You have a brand equity with Tawala that people listen. So it's, it is hard sometimes to get people to show up to events as you've, as you know, uh, when no, when, when there's a lot going on and, and sometimes for the right reasons, I've got startups saying, look, I can't come. I'm too busy. And I'm, that's a great reason not to come, but please understand the value you guys bring by being able to have a, a voice that's heard. So I, I appreciate that. I, I, we care deeply about our role in, in the community. And when you're throwing an event to your point, it takes time just to get people to show up. And, you know, we didn't charge for a lot of those things because we, we wanted people to show up. And that was also important to the individuals that were speaking that right. helped really anchor it. Now, that being said, I, uh, I still probably wrote 300 emails saying, Hey, this is a thing. We would love to have you there. I think there would I got be value. those emails and you wrote it to me alone. I appreciate that. I, it wasn't a mass sending. No, I typed them. I know you I did. mean, that's that's the only way to do it. If yeah. it's a mass sending, it's not genuine. And if you want to have a genuine connection, you, you got to take the time and do the work. And it's not like I sent a beautifully eloquent email to everybody, but I tried to at least say, hey, would you join us? Yeah. And you know what? Most people actually didn't respond. My feelings aren't hurt. I'm not keeping a list of who didn't respond versus who did, but... I believe those that showed up genuinely had an opportunity to make a series of connections that they wouldn't have made otherwise. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. So um, one of the things that was talked about at Monetary was talent and the value of the talent that's in the Midwest and other parts of the, of the country. They're outside, again, the Valley and all the rest. You stated recently in the blog you have over 40 openings to fill this year, and um, the many of the speakers at Monetary are really outspoken about diversity. Can you, And that was a lot of the topic, and I appreciated you doing that. Are they, they doing that? Uh, I think it was from the heart. What are you doing to, to attract diverse talent at Dwala? I think we start with talking about it. And there are a lot of things that if you just don't talk about it, you don't improve it. There's no easy button to everybody's point, but recognizing it as something that needs to get better and improve, I do think is a starting point. Yeah. Thinking about how we as a business stand for diversity and inclusion, not just in our hiring processes, but within our community. Right. That 
we do decide that we're going to sit up and say diversity is and inclusion is important to us. It is something we want to talk about when people come into the company. We also recognize that means that we fall on sort of one side of the spectrum where there's things that, you know, going on in the world today that we don't think are wonderful things that are a good part of our business. One thing we do believe is important to our company is creating a diverse and inclusive culture that helps support individuals of different backgrounds because we think it results in building a better business. So in that way, it's selfish, but there's also just basic moral ethics to this that like we're all people. We should all be treated equally and we should all have equal opportunities. It seems so easy uh, when you look at it that way and it, and it should be, and it's unfortunately not. Um, I think what you're, what's works the best is speaking um, through action. I mean, it's uh, not unnoticed that the principal's chief data officer is from India and he has brown skin and he is a minority that is, and so we're talking about Tej and obviously he's done a lot here, but they speak with what they do. And it's, it's a company that I see as a big company that is doing a lot about diversity. So I'm glad to see it. You know, I, um, there's probably a little bit of controversy that I don't necessarily think country companies should be praised for doing something that is obviously the right thing to do anyway. And I recognize that in saying that there's a little bit of a provocative nature to it, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that if Dwala gets this right in a way that we want to, it's something that we expect to be praised for. No, it's, I understand. It's definitely something that we think is just like foundationally important. And when we think about the type of company we want to build, this is one of those things that let's say 10 years from now, we're looking back and we did really well. If we get this right, it could change so many people's lives internally and externally. Mm -hmm. Because we think we could have a lot of impact. If we get this wrong, alternatively, it could create a lot of heartache that doesn't need to exist. Mm-hmm. Is, I don't mean to harp on it. Just it's no, something it's, that we take really seriously. No, I'm glad you take it seriously. And I, you know, we're both Midwesterners, and we don't tend to overpromote. You know, if you've done enough business on the East Coast, there's a lot of overpromotion, and look what we did. And I think it's part of being a Midwest company that we don't do stuff like that. It's just, it, for the most part, that isn't part of our culture here. It's one of the reasons I'm back here and not still in Seattle. Uh, it, it got a little hard to to listen to some of that stuff some days. So uh, so a, a, there was a recent uh, news report by Kauffman Foundation that entrepreneurs overwhelmingly feel unsupported by the government when they're starting their business. At Monetary, the panelists advocated a, you know, a minimal role of government as it relates to startup. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on the involvement of government at early stage companies. I, I think if you're, a, you're an entrepreneur or part of a small growing team and you're looking to the government to make your company work, you're, you're simply probably starting to look in the wrong place unless the government is actually one of your customers and you're spending all of your time selling into it. That being said, government can do a lot to be supportive of entrepreneurial ecosystems. And I think the state of Iowa has done a nice job. And I do too. I have a lot of respect for the way they handle it and specifically Debbie Durham. Yeah. That being said, I don't think that they belong in everything, not because they couldn't do it well hypothetically, but it's not their core focus. If you think about the way things get done, we tend to specialize in something, and then that tends to make us an expert in what we specialize in. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes being an expert in one thing gives us too much confidence to believe we can be an expert at all things. Well, government's gotten really specialized and good at being government. Right. It's okay that they wouldn't do all things well. 
we wouldn't have the same expectation of anybody else in our life or any other organization. Good point. You know, it's. I agree with you on the state of Iowa. I, I work with a lot of their programs, funding programs around uh, providing additional non uh, non. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm working with? Non equity investing into startups, and I love what they do is that they're a follow on investor. So if you can raise some capital, they'll follow it with a low interest loan. And I am so glad they're not grants anymore because they used to be literally grants. And I'm a I'm an anti-grant uh, person in the sense of general funding. In specific technology areas, there's some grants to the federal government that are great. But this idea of free money, I think it uh, it breeds too many uh, failures. Uh, it's just too damn easy. I I unfortunately don't have enough of a background to say whether or not I think that the the return on the investment in terms of what is important to the state is working or it's not. Yeah. I do think there are states like New York that have very specific investment vehicles that are maybe not specifically government only run, but the government helps to influence that have impacts that I don't necessarily understand. At the end of the day, the thing I will say I really appreciate about the state of Iowa is they're trying and working hard to get it right. And I do think there are some things that are successes that can be pointed to. In the conversations that I've had with the individuals inside of the government, they're constantly looking for new ideas. So when you think about uh, more densely populated areas, you tend to have a large group of people fighting over a small number of resources. Iowa conversely has a lot of resources and people that are looking to put that set of resources to work. I think that's crazy unique about Iowa. And I don't know that that necessarily exists everywhere because I don't know a lot of other states the way I feel like I'm starting to get to know Iowa. But I think that support system is important because the people that are in the government are not saying, well, here's another incentive. Why can't you hire more people? Folks in Iowa, they're saying, hey, can we sit down and can we get some advice on how we can help you? So ironically, the state of Iowa's behavior as a government is largely dictated by the feedback that they're hearing from founders, which if you think about the feedback loop, if you told a founder you're not supposed to listen to your your customer, like the founder would probably think this is nuts. This is insane. Yeah. Which, so in that way, I think it's I think it's pretty cool, even if everything may not work as expected. Yeah. Oh, I agree. So I want to talk finish up talking about the entrepreneurial community here in Des Moines. Uh Brad Feld wrote a book called Startup Communities, and in it he talks about leaders and feeders, which is one of my favorite comments. And it came up again in monetary. I mean, I'm one of the feeders. So as my role in the community is to help startups, it's not to be a leader. I think sometimes people look to people like Tej or me or others and say, you need to be the leaders of the ecosystem. Or we're very much the Brad Feld book of, no, we're the feeders, the entrepreneurs are the leaders. Um, I'm curious to hear your take on this view of the ecosystem. I think my take is probably uh – slightly less binary in that I think if you want to help, you play the role you need to play when you need to play it. And sometimes people, when they're looking for a mentor, they don't know they need a mentor. When they're looking for capital, they might not know they're talking to the wrong investors or even know that based on the economics in their business and their current performance, they don't need to ever raise capital. Right. And instead of introductions to investors, they just need feedback that they're okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. Now, I think there are probably folks that really enjoy kind of staying in their leader or feeder lane. I don't know that I am necessarily one of them. (laughs) I simply want to try and help wherever I can help. And sometimes that means talking and sometimes that means listening. Yeah. Do you think there's enough uh, of the startup community 
founders stepping up to take some leadership roles in Des Moines? Hell no. I agree. I mean, thank you. Is ever is everybody doing it? The answer is no. So until everybody's doing it and the number of people goes up by an order of magnitude, there are not enough. So I don't mean to say like, I'm going to point the finger at somebody and say, you're not doing enough. I'm saying collectively as a community, until everybody is doing it and there is more people in the community, we can always be doing better. Yeah. And while we can always pat ourselves on the back a little bit for doing what we are doing, like we just all have to do more. And going back to the give first idea, you just got to give and trust that it's going to come back to you in a way that is somehow good for you. Yeah. And don't be binary about counting the number of goods that come back. Right. I mean, I look at it, I do some angel investing and over the, I think I've done about 15 or 20 deals now. And you know, the odds are one in 10, two in 10, if you're good, maybe three in 10, if you're great at it, which means it's baseball odds. Most of what you go up and do is not going to happen. You're going to strike out on it. And it's, that's the way in my mind you have to look at it. So you drove the, the, the creation of clay and milk as part of helping the ecosystem is the way I guess I see it. Um, when you started it, what problem were you solving? And I don't mean just you, because I know you did it with a team of people, but what was the problem Clay and Milk was built to solve? Well, we wanted to create more opportunities for people. And I go back to a lot of my own experiences. And I can I can draw from those because I had them and they're easy for me. And I imagine other people run into situations that I ran into. I mentioned that something really important to me was getting a computer with an internet connection. Yeah. It completely changed my world forever. I think if I can help create that type of opportunity for somebody else, I want to contribute in a way that I can. So when a tech writer ceased to exist at the Des Moines register and when a tech writer ceased to exist at uh, the business record, and when you started talking to founders, you'd realize pretty quickly that there was nobody to tell their story. It might not always be all technology businesses, but if there's nobody to tell their story, well, maybe they either stop sharing it or maybe they leave because they think they're not valuable. Right. Like positive affirmation or just having somebody to tell your story. Please pay attention to me. Right. And it, it doesn't necessarily even need to be needy, right? Like it's a kind of a, a, a basic human feeling that if somebody is giving you positive affirmation about something you're doing, you also feel good about it. And if you're putting your entire life into something and all your money into something and it's consuming you. But when you try to talk to a reporter, somebody that could help tell your story, no one cares. It might not actually be that no one cares. It might just be that like, there's nobody there to write about it. Or there's no outlet. As you talked about the register, it's not an outlet anymore for tech stories. That, um, that is something that the Midwest gets crushed on, on yes. both coasts. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to a, a venture investor at one point about, one of the advantages to being in New York. And the way he answered it was, we've got it all. We've got good technology. We've got a government who cares. The media cares. We've got art. We've got fashion. There's nothing you can't connect to in New York. And it's not just that we have all these things, it's that we have all these things and they are world-class. Right. Now, when you think about the value of a world-class media to a fast-growing technology company whose message could be broadcast all around the country and world, the connection to the media can be incredibly important. And more important now than ever before. Well, as we all now know, media can spread very, very, very quickly yes. and change the way folks think. Yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Thanks, uh, Mike. 
Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Let's not. Uh, you and your partner, Jamie, are very involved in the art scene in Des Moines. Uh, did you have this interest before you met Jamie? No. You weren't into art? I um, I am Jamie's plus one on most things in life, and I am very happy to be that plus one. Jamie is very connected in the art community and cares deeply about not only her art, but the people that are creating art in the community. I don't have that talent, but I do appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really fantastic to be a plus one when I get to. Yeah. Are there any particular art pieces in Des Moines that are a favorite of yours? There's a couple in Sculpture Park that our family really likes and are important to us. You know, I think even the Sculpture Park, thinking about how that came to be and Papa John's impact on the community, like all these things happen because people said we will do something here. Yeah. And Maybe it's not just the art itself, but the intention of the art being there that I really enjoy. So to your point, like I, I like the sculpture park. I yeah. like taking my kids there and then running around in the grass. It's a beautiful place to be. Well, it, it, I don't think most people understand what a gift that is. That, that is a hugely valuable collection of art, and it's in the open. People can climb on it even though they're not supposed to. They can run around and play it. Uh, it's To me, it's amazing. So last question for you, then I'll quit asking all these questions. What kind of art's inside of the offices of Dwalla? We got a lot of van stuff. Van stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Van is someone who did a number of our early t-shirts and over the years has come in and created a number of different pieces. And so we've got a lot of his stuff up at the moment. Nice. Well, Ben Mill, thanks for being on Startup Stories with me. And and thank you seriously for being a leader in the Des Moines community. We really do appreciate it. Well, to you and Des Moines, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Startup Stories DSM podcast. Inspired by this startup story, visit dsmpartnership.com slash business resources to find upcoming events, videos, and other free resources dedicated to helping startups and entrepreneurs accelerate success in DSM USA. That's dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. Thanks for listening.